Hitler massacred 3 million Jews. Now there is 3 million, there's a 3 million drug addicts. And we have to slaughter him. At least if Germany had Hitler, the Philippines would have you know, my victims, I would like to be all criminals to finish the problem of my country and save the next generation from Philippines president. Rodrigo Duarte has said he will slaughter addicts in his country's war against drugs and appearing to make a comparison with the Holocaust. You know, this is the same man that Donald Trump has praised for his handling of the war on drugs. And now, even though Trump doesn't mention Hitler, he does encourage a death sentence similar to Duarte. But if we don't get tough on the drug dealers, we're wasting our time. Just remember that. We're wasting our time. And that toughness includes the death penalty. My name is Eric McCoy. Welcome back to Recovering Through Highness. Now, I'm not going to blame Donald Trump's politically motivated pursuit to end the drug problem in this country because he isn't doing anything differently than his predecessors in promoting hatred and disgust to drug abusers. Now, as the death toll continues to rise from drug overdoses, and sadly, many who really need the help are not receiving it, you know, it's time to start fighting for them. So many say that I'm not going to fight harder than they do, or they will come when they are ready. I want to remind everybody who's listening that they will never be completely ready. Are we ever really ready for anything? Especially giving up that thing, which has been their comfort, their support, has been there when nobody else has. Many who are standing on death's door are completely lost. You know, and it's the song I wrote and that I play on the intro says, climbing Everest without a rope. If nobody is fighting for them, then the fight is going to probably be over. Yes, now once these individuals get clean and find that motivation that lasts, it is up to them, and they will eventually need to learn to fly. But what am I mostly speaking of? Is creating a path that will have a door that they can open. This might be policy changes, allowing an environment where they can be honest and allowing a comfortable vision for what they know is going to be an uncomfortable situation. Now, for everybody out there working to reduce the stigma of substance abuse and mental health, thank you. We are working to correct misinformation, or contradicting negative attitudes and beliefs. Now, I'm here to counter inaccurate stereotypes or myths by replacing them with factual information. This stigma is a discrimination and lack of knowledge towards drug abusers. I've done an audio podcast on the war on drugs because much of the real hatred comes from our policies and our laws. 
And I want to show you a clip real quick. Who, this is the man who really did initially start the war on drugs. Take a look. The Treasury Department intends to pursue a relentless warfare against the despicable dope peddling vulture who preys on the weakness of his fellow man. Harry Jacob Anslinger was a United States government official who served as the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics, or FBN, which later became the DEA. And he was during the presidencies of Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy. He was a supporter of prohibition and the criminalization of drugs while spreading anti-drug policy campaigns. Anslinger held office 32 years in his role as commissioner until 1962. He was the individual who pushed for prohibition of marijuana with the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. His tone and words are directly linked to what, we, what he defined as the most dangerous drug, which creates in its users insanity, criminality, and death. And what is that drug? It is the evil marijuana. The only drugs that were controlled was at that time was opium and any derivatives of that, the coca plant and any derivatives of that, and marijuana. You know, the truth behind these laws were racially motivated. Cocaine was prominently used by black people in the South for non-medical reasons. And the Chinese were seen as an economic threat in the new territories by Americans. Now, it didn't take long for rumors to spread about Chinese men seducing white women into a life of opiate addiction. And these rumors justified racial prejudice against the Chinese. And politicians, they were quick to seize the opportunity for political gain. California passed the first law criminalizing opium in, in 1875 and used it to harass, to control, and imprison the state's Chinese population. The hysteria surrounding Chinese immigrants and their opiate use quickly spread across the country, leading to the federal government passing the Harrison, the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1914, which criminalized the use and sale of heroin nationwide. Listen to my podcast on the war on drugs for the full details of the Harrison Narcotics Act. Now, I want to give you a feel for how our leaders have pushed this hatred. Now, here's the man who everybody considered as starting this war on drugs. Pay attention. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. I have asked the Congress to provide the legislative authority and the funds to fuel this kind of an offensive. This will be a worldwide offensive dealing with the problems of sources of supply as well as Americans who may be stationed abroad wherever they are in the world. It will be government-wide pulling together the nine different fragmented areas where, within the government in which this problem is now being handled.
public enemy number one is drug abuse. All-out offensive. Fuel this offensive. Worldwide offensive. The sad part about this whole thing is politics. One of Richard Nixon's top advisors, John Elrickman, and he was a key figure in the Watergate scandal, said the war on drugs was created as a political tool to fight blacks and hippies, according to an interview that was done on Harper's Magazine. The Nixon campaign, and this is what he said, and this is, quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. He said we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And that is what started this war on drugs. That's a scary idea. Gerald Ford, Nixon's vice president, stepped in, and he made very, very few interviews about this war on drugs. Jimmy Carter, he promoted decriminalization of marijuana, as he believed that smoking a joint shouldn't send you to prison. He didn't promote legalization, but decriminalization, which is similar to alcohol prohibition, which was from 1920 to 1933, which made it illegal to make, to sell, or to transport alcohol, but it was not illegal to drink if you were on your own property. Then we had President Reagan, and Reagan refueled this drug war. Watch this. Today, there's a new epidemic, smokable cocaine, otherwise known as crack. It is an explosively destructive and often lethal substance which is crushing its users. It is an uncontrolled fire. The administration of Ronald Reagan early on began to prioritize what was the war on drugs, which combated drug trafficking, and it aimed to end the crack cocaine epidemic that was destroying many lives. Now, the efforts included the passing of federal anti-drug laws. It increased federal anti-drug funding, the initiative and expansion of prison and police programs, and the establishment of private organizations such as the Partnership for a Drug-Free America to campaign on its behalf. The idea of the war on drugs was grounded in deterrence theory, where the implementation of legislation and harsher penalties would deter or discourage the use of drugs. And it was the 100 to 1 ratio between powdered cocaine and crack cocaine. And that was used as a guideline for minimal mandatory punishment. So, for instance, a minimal pen penalty of five years was administered for five grams of crack cocaine 
or 500 grams of powdered cocaine. The war on drugs resulted in an immense growth in court caseloads and the prison population. The war on drugs focused on small-time drug dealers who were generally poor, young, black males from the inner city. Ultimately, the prison population doubled due to the arrest of drug dealers and their customers. One in every four African-American males aged 20 to 29 was either incarcerated or on probation or parole by 1989, which contributed to the United States having the highest incarceration rate in the world. By 1995, that statistic had increased to nearly one in three. But George H.W. Bush, as being Reagan's vice president, he continued the hatred and incarceration of drug users. Take a look. Our most serious problem today is cocaine, and in particular, crack. Who's responsible? Let me tell you straight out. Everyone who uses drugs, everyone who sells drugs, and everyone who looks the other way. Well, here the rules have changed. If you sell drugs, you will be caught. And when you're caught, you will be prosecuted. And once you're convicted, you will do time. Caught, prosecuted, punished. I'm also proposing that we enlarge, enlarge our criminal justice system across the board, at the local, state, and federal levels alike. We need more prisons, more jails, more courts, more prosecutors. So tonight I'm requesting altogether an almost billion and a half dollar increase in drug-related federal spending on law enforcement. The other way. The problems in this country are drug dealers, drug users, and those who look the other way. Clinton correlated drug use with criminal activity. And the greatest way to break the drug problem is to break the drug habit. Now, he declared that testing is going to do this. Testing without treatment is only to catch once they actually do it. Common sense tells us that the best way to break the cycle between drugs and criminal activity is to break the drug habits of the prisoners. That's why we have made coerced abstinence, requiring inmates to be tested and treated for drugs, a vital part of our anti-crime efforts. We've doubled the number of federal arrestees who've been tested for drugs, expanded testing among inmates and parolees, and tripled the number of inmates receiving drug treatment. To inmates, we say, if you stay on drugs, then you'll have to stay in jail. To parolees, we say, if you want to keep your freedom, you have to stay free of drugs. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You know, our tactics of punishment, they have not worked since we started this experimentation of prohibition. And if anybody thinks the death penalty or intense incarceration is going to work, it won't. Why? Money. Increased penalties raise the value, which will guarantee lots of drugs in this country. Execute one, 10, or 100 people, 600 more are going to come along. 
Our policies in this country are killing people. And it is time that we wake up to the reality behind these tactics. Based on that rationale of money, the death penalty will kill thousands of more lives than if it wasn't a consequence. And I'm not talking about those being executed. Think about that. Please subscribe to my channel, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Recovering Through Highness. And my name is Eric McCoy.